Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey everyone, we are back in the basement. My name is Max, and we are continuing in the Gospel of John in chapter 21. Last time we were together, we talked through the first part of this text where where Jesus is revealing himself on the beach uh, to the disciples as they have gone back to fishing and couldn't catch any fish. And Jesus gave instruction, even though they didn't know it was Jesus, and they saw a miracle happen. So we're going to read back through everything we read last time we were together, and then we're going to dive into a few new aspects to the story. So here we go. John 21. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were able they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple who Jesus whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, "It is the Lord." When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a boat or in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land about a hundred yards off. When they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some, some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So we see this story of the disciples not really knowing maybe what to do. Uh, Jesus said that, hey, wait for me in Galilee. So they were there in Galilee and, and Peter maybe, and we talked about this last time, Peter, it goes back and forth that 
maybe Peter just went back to what he knew. Maybe he was being disobedient to waiting. Uh, some people say, hey, that's okay. He was just keeping busy. He was passing the time. They had to eat, had no Safeway down the street to go pick up food, so they went fishing. Whatever, whatever the reason, they went back to fishing, and Jesus shows up to them. And last time we were together, we talked about the obedience of the disciples, despite not knowing it was Jesus, the obedient call to go to Jesus. And we talked about maybe, maybe starting to ponder the question in our head, what, what does it look like to have breakfast with Jesus? And maybe you've pondered that since you listened last. What does it look like to have breakfast with Jesus as he calls them to have breakfast? I want to lean into a different aspect of this story uh, in this episode. Uh, Luke 15 tells a different story that that Jesus is actually telling. Um, it's one of his parables, and it's one that is very well known, very easy to, to grasp and understand the story um, because it directly ties to our salvation and our state when it comes to the Lord. It's the story of the prodigal son, and This story is about a fairly wealthy man who has two sons, and one of the sons goes to him, uh, the younger of the two, and and says, hey, dad, I want everything you owe me. I want my inheritance now. And he goes off and he squanders it. And he's left in this place of ruin, basically. And he's eating with the pigs, and because he had nothing. He had lost it all, squandered it all, um, used it on things that would not last, did not invest it, did not take care of it because it was just all given to him. And in this story in Luke 15, uh, starting up in verse 17, it says this, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So from this place, within this parable, we of course can draw uh, the story of what Jesus is explaining. It's our salvation that, that just like that shift that we talked about last time where Peter came from a place in, in Luke 5, I believe it was, where he saw a similar miracle to what we see in John 21, his knee-jerk reaction when, when Jesus performed this miracle is he said, get away from me. He had this, this heart of, man, I am unclean. Um, and we talked about that with Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And it's this moment of realizing, man, we are less than in the sight of the Lord that we have fallen short from the glory of God and are not worthy to be with him or, or to have relationship with him. 
and and so this young man comes to that place where he sees uh, he says that in verse 19 I'm no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants and this is important in salvation to realize that we we are not enough that we cannot do it on our own because when it comes to our greatest downfall as human as humans in humanity is our pride that that was that was the root of the fall of man it was uh, that we chose to serve ourselves rather than live in the image of God the image of this glorious loving holy perfect God that we were made to bear his image but we chose to worship ourselves instead very similar to this father that that he had a lot to give his son, um, but his son took it and used it in the wrong way. And so this son comes back to the father saying, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Peter was obviously in a very similar place uh, in that he denied Jesus three times before Jesus went on the cross. And it's important to remember that most of the disciples scattered at the time of the cross, that they were scared, um, that they didn't know what was going on, didn't know what was going to happen to them. And most of them scattered and weren't just standing there underneath the cross, uh, that they had gone their separate ways, uh, many of them, not all of them. But this, this is the parallel. This is why I bring this up. In verse 20, it says, and this is the father, and, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him and ran and embraced and kissed him. It was, this is very different from our culture. The culture back then was very different from our culture now in that our culture now sort of, um, almost glorifies this idea of rushing around and being busy. And uh, we've talked about that on here that that really it, it would do us a lot of good to slow down. But back then, to rush around to things was actually very undignified. It indicated that you didn't have your affairs in order, that you didn't have your things lined up, set up. If you didn't have enough time for things, if you were rushing around, It was very, very undignified. And this man being a father, an older man, um, this would have been even more undignified for him to run to his son. You didn't see people running and rushing around to do things, anything. So for this father to see his son, feel compassion and run and embrace him and kiss him is very, very significant. And we see also within the text um, in John 21, we see Peter doing a similar thing. Now, um, Peter, there's speculation of, of, I've heard it go both ways. Some people really think they've pinpointed Peter's age um, at at the time of of Jesus's ministry. we know Jesus was uh, around 30 years old at the time of his ministry, but Peter being an accomplished uh, fisherman, or from what we know, I've, I've heard it said that 
Peter was actually an accomplished fisherman and that he had people working for him. Um, so he could have been a bit older um, at the time of this, but he was definitely not a young man. Um, I don't think we can we can pinpoint whether he's older, older. Um, I know I'm using very vague terms, but but Peter was was grown up, right? He was an adult. And for him to put on his outer garment because he was stripped for work and jump into the water and rush to Jesus is very similar to this father, but the tables are turned. This is like the son running to the father, but in both ways, we see this sort of undignified, un, it, 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 they're breaking the norm, rushing, rushing one, one to the other. And this, this is so important to remember because it, it points to the why, the heart. We see with the father that, that it was what compelled him was compassion for his son. He felt compassion and he embraced and kissed him. He was so glad that his son was back. He, he didn't even care what he was saying. Hey, will you treat me like, like one of your servants? I don't, I don't. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. He just felt compassion and ran, broke the norm and ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And then we see Peter, Simon Peter in this, he's compelled by a comment made by uh, <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we've, we of course can, can know that that's John talking about himself who says, it is the Lord. It is the person of Jesus. It is who who Peter knows Jesus to be that compels him to break the norm and rush to him, undignified rush to him. In Luke 11, and I've used this uh, scripture several times to talk about prayer because I think... I think a lot of times we focus on the how within our culture, uh, it, you know, A, B, C, three steps to, uh, you know, six pack abs or, or whatever. We like the how, um, and we don't focus or dwell a whole lot on the why. Um, we don't let the why drive us. And in Luke 11, this is an interesting story. Uh, I, I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but, um, Maybe I have. Luke 11, it says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are are with me in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because 
He is his friend, yet because of his impudence, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So the main takeaway from this is we have a clear outline of how to pray, right? He lays out, um, and this is known as the Lord's Prayer, but really the Lord's Prayer is is in the Gospel of John at the end of the Upper Room Discourse uh, where we see Jesus praying to the Father. But this is sort of laid out. It's called the Lord's Prayer because it's the way the Lord teaches his disciples to pray. Father, hallowed be thy name. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive the Trust those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that's just sort of expounded upon in another gospel. And that's known as the Lord's Prayer. And you've probably heard it before. It's it's a common uh, uh, prayer because it's sort of this base reference point. And if you're an outline person, you love this. You're like, man, I love that I know how to pray. This is how I pray. But what's more important about this scripture is this story. And, and specifically in, in verse 8, it's a strange little story about a friend going to another friend who has another friend who has come to hang out with them, and he has no food for them, which there's some ties to uh, the scripture we are currently in, John 21, right there with getting food together, um, which we'll get to. But... This friend is not going to rise out of bed because of their friendship. He's going to rise out of bed. It says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, this word was sort of foreign to me when I first uh, read this and studied this impudence. It, it was like something I remember hearing from maybe a movie or something, you know, there's some super villain and they're like, you imp- impudent fool. Or, you know, I feel like I've heard that before in a movie, but, but this impudence directly translated is, is actually shamelessness, shamelessness. And this goes back to scriptures that, that talk about we can boldly go before the throne of God and ask him for things. And this is so hard for us to wrestle with because it, it's so important, even though we are to shamelessly go to God and ask him for whatever we want, and he will give it because he's a good father. We sometimes get hung up on this Uh, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I am totally guilty of this. Like God has saved me. Why, Why would I ask him for anything more? But this is what the father wants. Uh, Jesus is telling this parable, talking about God is the father, that God doesn't, doesn't care about this, this moment of, of, feeling unworthy, that's important for us to, in order to come to God and have the right heart in coming to God, knowing that we need him. 
but what what Jesus is saying in in Luke 11 is he's saying shamelessly ask God because what what he's about to do on the cross um now in our current time what Jesus has done on the cross has made available the presence of God the very presence of God that he has made us right he has reconciled us to himself so now we can shamelessly go before God we can shamelessly run to him just as Peter knew who God was knew who Jesus was and because he knew he was compelled by Christ's lordship by Christ's lordship what was what was Peter compelled by who who was on the beach he was compelled and an undignified threw on his garment, jumped into the water, in an undignified fashion, went to Jesus because of who he was, because of who was standing on the beach. We see going even further, who is God? Why, why should we be compelled to him? Well, he's God. He's your savior. He's your Messiah. He created you in his image and even when we fa- fall short of that, and, and all through history have fallen short of that, he sent his son to die. But this is why. This is why. It says in 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. So love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know or d- does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, came into fruition, was shown to the world. Manifest means to be shown, to be revealed among us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if we, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, so we see Peter had experienced the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ and he was compelled to move undignified, undignified to who was standing on the beach. It was Jesus. And and what I really love, um, really, really love, is what Jesus says next. This is amazing. When they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with his fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you, that you just have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish. This big, big man. Can you imagine? He's just hauling 153 fish on, on, onto the shore because he's so excited. 
to be with Jesus. And although there, there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them then, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. They knew who he was. Now, none of the disciples dared ask, who, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was him. Because he had done this before, because they had experienced life with him over the last three or so years, they knew who Jesus was. But Jesus invites them to a place um, of, of breakfast. Like he, he invited them to breakfast, to sit down and to eat with him. Now we've, we've talked about this before because man, a lot of what, um, Kim, my wife and I, um, feel called to do is, um, and I know a lot of people say that, man, we want to be like Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, but within that scripture, we see that that they broke bread. To, they clung to the apostles' teachings. I'm turning to it here just, just so I have a clear picture of it. Um, they clung to the apostles' teachings, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and and the fellowship. So there's time together, right? So they clung to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And here in verse 46, it says, Day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We live in a fast food culture. Uh, There's a McDonald's on every corner. There's a Starbucks uh, right next to the McDonald's. And... um, literally in my town, there's a Starbucks right next to a McDonald's. Um, but it, all that to say, um, we, we have this sort of fast food. Let's, let's get our meals fast, a, a kind of mentality. And we were raised to, um, know that there are three main meals of the day. There's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and even though Lord of the Rings, the hobbits, uh, include, uh, however many more meals, um, than snacks in between. Um, and those things are what we see as needs, um, something that we need for sustenance to keep our body going. Um, whenever you get on a diet or sort of like a fitness kick, of course you alter the kinds of foods that are coming in, but typically you don't change the structure of when meals are coming in, except for this new, uh, intermittent fasting, fad, you know, now they say don't eat all day and then just eat one meal. Um, glad if that's working for you. Um, man, it's really hard. Um, sometimes I inter, inter, uh, unintentionally do that, but, um, (laughs) when I'm really busy, but man, it's hard to run without food. So it's a need that we have, but there's something very sacred 
about food. And I come from a foodie family. Um, when I think back on some of the most treasured and precious times that I have ever had with my family, um, we all sort of reflect as my family, we're all in this group text, as I hear most families are, we all reflect back to Bend, Oregon, on the deck, um, my dad would have this little herb garden and and these beautiful hanging baskets, and we had they had this deck where where there was a big table with an umbrella and and man Sundays or whatever day we could get together and have a meal, um, we would cook um, and we would eat we would eat together, and this was kind of foreign when I married. Kim, the, the sitting down, having the meal and then staying there at the table for long amount, large amounts of time afterwards and just being with one another. And I have friends that man will go and we'll have a meal and, and there, there's this, there's this wanting to move on, um, to the next thing. Like, let's play a game. Let's do something else. Um, which isn't a bad thing, but I think a lot of times we forget how sacred sharing a meal is. I've said this before that that sharing a meal w- with one another in ancient days meant you were sharing a piece of yourself. And I just want to point out some of the moments that are significant within scripture that sort of, I guess, sort of frame this mentality of sitting at the table and being with the people you're eating with. And leaning into that moment, that precious moment where you are sharing a piece of yourself. Um, in Exodus 24, uh, verse 9, it says this. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. And they saw God, the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Wow. Like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hands on the chief of men, the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank together, beheld God, and ate and drank together. So in this place where they go up the mountain, they go up the mountain, and they meet with God, these 70 elders, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, they go up to meet with God, and what do they do in this meeting place? They eat and they drink. They eat and they drink together. So this is the way God chooses to meet with his chosen, the elders of his chosen people, Israel. We see in Isaiah 55, it says, this is speaking of a a feast that is to come in the end of days. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk 
without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Hopefully this is coming together for you in that, man, this is, this is used as a picture of what God has to offer us. Um, despite us being so undeserving of that, God wants us to come and eat and dine with him and experience him through this picture of to eat what is good and to delight yourselves in rich food. That line in particular, to delight yourselves in rich food, this isn't just a momentary, hey, let's shove a cheeseburger down our throat because we need some food, but it's to delight in the moment. I love that word, delight. To be in the moment and to enjoy the moment. To be in the moment and to enjoy the moment. So we see Jesus in John 21, going back to the text we are we are in, it says, he says, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And he had a charcoal fire, which man, that, that would add flavor to the fish. So he's cooking it a certain way and he had bread. Now, some of us may look at this and be like, oh man, they were just eating sandwiches. But this was typical of, uh, like the typical diet of an ancient um, Jew or Israelite, um, they, they, w- there was a huge emphasis on bread, on olive oil, um, wine, and many times beans, uh, some form of legume, legume. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, I don't know if fish was around all the time, but of course these guys being fishermen, I'm sure they ate fish a lot. Um, but it was typically bread, beans, uh, olive oil was big and, and then wine. Because uh, water wasn't healthy to drink. Um, that's why we see in the, the scripture with Isaiah, milk and milk and wine, because um, water wasn't necessarily sanitary. So this isn't like a fast food sandwich. Um, even though I love sandwiches, you can do sandwiches very well and not have them just be fast food. Um, there's my foodiness coming out. Um, but he's sitting down and enjoying and sharing this meal. And... What's significant about this is I'm sure you can go to a place in your heart and in your mind. Um, I say your heart because memories, I believe, are written in your heart as well as your mind. Um, I can remember down in L.A. when I was going to uh, a Bible college down there. I went to this church that, man, it was sort of dying because of that transition uh, between having sort of some more modern people come in, I I guess younger people, not modern, Um, just younger people come in and and the older folks not wanting to move and in the way they knew things in their traditions in the church. And there were sort of some younger people coming in and man, there were some incredible stories that came out of that church. Um, But what I really remember um, about that day was we got invited back to somebody's house and it wasn't a big house. Um, it, it was actually a pretty small house and we hung out in the backyard and we barbecued 
and we ate with these people and some of them were pastors. Um, some of them were ex convicts, ex gangsters. Um, and man, I will never forget the connection that I made with those people. And I will never forget that moment. I'll never, um, I sort of remember the food, but again, the food can be good and the food should always be as good as it can be. Right. But what's really important about a meal, um, is that it turns us face to face with one another in a day and age where we are passing information via text, via email, via phone call. Um, it's so important to get face to face with one another and to understand that meal time is a sacred time. Meal time is actually ministry time. When you can sit down face to face with another human being, um, possibly another Christian. Why do you think it is that when, when you get out of church on Sunday, everyone's making lunch plans with one another? Where are you going to go eat? Because it's ingrained in us that food is sacred and to sit across a table with one another is sacred as well. And Jesus um, obviously knew this and was operating in this, operating in this. And I want to encourage you, if you're a, a young person and you don't have maybe a lot of means and you feel like you are, man, I'm still building in life. I'm still building. Um, I'm going to school. I'm, I'm climbing the career ladder or whatever it may be. Um, I'm still sort of building what I'm doing. I want to point out that Jesus made breakfast on a beach. This is like a, it's kind of a camping setup. <laughs> um, he made breakfast on a beach on a charcoal fire. So just because you may not have a big house um, or a huge kitchen or whatever it may be, heck, go to that fast food restaurant and sit in the car with somebody or, or go to the park. And um, it, it, there's always a way to sit down and share a meal and share a special moment with another person. And I think this is important. Um, that this is the way, it, just like I asked you, what does it look like to have breakfast with Jesus? We have our time that we spend with him where we open up the word and we read the word and let us let, let the word of God usher us into the presence of God. And then we pray and we worship him and we spend time with him. We listen, we quiet our minds and our hearts and we listen to him. And from that place, we live our life. That's having breakfast with Jesus. But like it said in John, First uh, John, it, it said, let us love one another. This is such a simple and practical way to love those around us. Sit down and have a meal with them. See what might happen. I remember uh, <laughs> before COVID when we uh, had a group of uh, – a group of friends, I, I can't even label them any different, a group of friends who really care uh, about what's going on at Encounter, the young adult community that I uh, get to love and serve. Um, we would sit down on Monday nights and we would just cook crockpot chicken and rice and veggies and we would sit around the table and just asking the simple question of what's, what's God speaking to you would open up just incredible time. We would sit there for hours and just talk about what God's doing, what God's speaking. 
And it's just powerful time over, uh, over a meal. And I just want to encourage you, um, as you shamelessly, as you navigate what that looks like to find the root of what it looks like to come to Jesus, that we shamelessly come before the Lord, that when we see him, we shamelessly come to him. And, um, and then he says, come have breakfast with me. And, and as we shamelessly come to the Lord, we have breakfast with Jesus. We open up the word and we discover and we learn who he is more and more. And so our shamelessness increases in the way that we come to him, we pray with him, and he's involved in our life, not just in our mornings or our nights or the times where we're having breakfast, but every day, every meal. Um, a practical way that you can turn and love your neighbor is to have a meal. And mealtime e equals ministry time. That God is going to do something powerful in you, through you, through that other person at the table, that powerful moments can come. I look back on uh, even all my travels um, in times where I've gotten to go um, into the world and, and bring the gospel and bring the love of Jesus. The, the moments that I really remember are times where I ate with people. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely Christians, but even people outside of that, moments where I really felt like I connected with another human being um, are times where I ate with another human being. You know, down in Argentina, it's it was steak and vegetables and wine and um, and in man in Israel, um, it was sitting around. Man, I got to a point in Israel where I would just order salad because they salad there it means they bring out all these condiments and and bread and oh my gosh, it is amazing. It's a meal in itself. You don't need to order the entree; just order salad, and they they bring out all this stuff. It's great. Um, hummus. Oh my gosh, the hummus there. Um, or even in Indonesia, uh, some of my most memorable times with people, you know, sitting and eating Chinese noodles with my buddy Reinhardt there in Indonesia. My gosh, I will never forget those moments. And these moments are so powerful because it's, it's the way we were created. It's ingrained in us. We see that scripture back in Exodus. That's the way that, that, that God met with uh, the elders of Israel, even before that, like when, when Abraham is, is pleading for, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, because he knows Lot is there when this angel of the Lord, which, um, there, there, there's a lot of reason to believe that when it says an angel of the Lord, uh, that may be Jesus, um, coming to have those encounters and those meetings, so I, I see that as a meal with Jesus um, that Abraham had with Jesus and, and these two uh, angels who came with him. Uh, we see these moments where, where God meets with humanity. Um, God meets with humanity through meals, through having a meal together. This is significant to God, so it should be significant and sacred to us. Significant and sacred to us. I know we read a text that was talking about the, the feast to come, but also uh, within Revelation, at the very end of the Bible, we see that there is a supper that will be enjoyed. It says in, uh, this is Revelation 19, verse 6, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, 
and like the sound of mighty pearls of oh peals of thunder my my bad uh crying out hallelujah for the lord of our god the almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet and worshipped him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we see within this text, there is a marriage supper, and all who are invited and are blessed, and all who are invited are blessed. And this marriage supper has a specific heart set mindset and purpose, right? We see the heart and the mind of, of this supper is worship. It says, hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. This marriage is a celebration. It's a meal to celebrate. I wonder what it would look like if we treated the meals that we have, the moments that we have with other people around the dinner table as a moment to celebrate and worship who God is and really the relationship that we, um, we experience life from, right? Our relationship with him, this marriage of the lamb to the bride who has made herself ready. That just like this marriage supper, if we treated uh, meals that we have today, the moments that we have with people sitting around the table, sitting on the beach at a park, maybe in the car after running through the <laughs> the the McDonald's drive-through, um, or wherever it may be, if we leaned in and we let it be worship, and a place of worship, a place of celebration, and a place of love and connection. If we took mealtime, um, I'm not going to say as seriously, but if, if we let it, how sacred it is and how meaningful it is set in, would our mealtimes look different? Would it look like this breakfast on the beach with Jesus? Would it be, would our meals be deeper? Would we have... Uh, a deeper connections with each other and with God if our meals, the things we have to do, right? Eat, eat a meal three times a day, brec- breakfast, lunch, and dinner, unless you're an intermittent faster. Um, and even then, that one meal a day, if it was really purposed, if it was really intentional, and it came from a place of deep cele- celebration, deep worship, and a deep love for one another, I, I think it would change things. I think our meal times would look different and our relationships would look different too. Have a meal with somebody this week. Have, have a meal, sit down at a table 
look face to face and have a meal with somebody and, and go expectant that God's going to do something, that he's going to knit you together with those people around the table. Enjoy them. Um, let them enjoy you and enjoy God together um, around the table. I pray that this is a blessing to you as we shamelessly seek the Lord um, and as we shamelessly go and have breakfast with Jesus, as we open up the word and, and we let it usher us into prayer and, and worship the worship of him. And from that place that we live a life loving others, hopefully full of intentional meal times with the people we love, with maybe even strangers, to make new friends and to have more people that we love and care about. Um, I pray that this is a blessing to you. Uh, let's live a life of love and a life around the table. Uh, looking forward to our next time together. Uh, talk to you then. Looking forward to it. <laughs>